Hey everyone, it's Caleb, and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast today, and boy, do I have a great episode for you today. Today, I am bringing back on a guest that we had on a couple of years ago on the Learner's Corner podcast to talk about what a brand new book that he has releasing, and the guest today that I'm so excited to have on is Tyler Regan, and Tyler was president of Catalyst for a while. Currently, he is the founder and CEO of The Life-Giving Company, and The Life-Giving Company exists to create life-giving leaders and organizations through coaching, consulting, retreats, and workshops, and like I mentioned earlier, he was the former president of Catalyst. He also worked at North Point Ministries for over 10 years, and his new book has just recently come out called Leading Things You Didn't Start. And I was so excited whenever I saw this book because it's a book that there's not really a whole ton of resources on there or resources out there on this subject. And really, it reminds me so much, and I think I might have told him this, but it reminds me so much of the the book that came out a few years ago of how to lead when you're not in charge by clay scroggins i've really just hitting a hitting a market hitting a niche that that hasn't been scratched very much and so my conversation with him will be coming up in a little bit but before that i do have a couple of shout outs that i want to give i want to say thank you to garrett oler for editing the podcast thank you to sam massey who uh, has created the music for this podcast as well. And if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about what uh, kind of what we do here on the podcast. And really, the Learner's Corner is a place to have, is a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're like me, and maybe you've been involved in uh, leadership for a little bit, or maybe you've just been involved uh, just kind of in life, uh, you've probably picked up on the fact that not everybody is someone that you feel like you can have any conversation that you want with some people um, are you just don't feel like you can have the conversation with them and here on the learner's corner we want to create an environment we want to create a place to where we can have literally any type of conversation because this is a learning podcast and we believe that we can learn from anyone everyone anything and everything and we cover the gamut here on the podcast whether we're talking about uh, something in like leadership to whether or what we're talking about today to literally any matters of life. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that as well. And I'm so excited if this happens to be your first time that you have decided to join us today. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Tyler Reagan. Well, Tyler, it's so great to have you on the podcast today to talk about uh, your brand new book, which uh, at the time that this is, uh, whenever it's released, the book will be out, but we're a couple months before that right now. Yeah. And so just super excited to talk with you about leading things you didn't start. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's it's funny because it's one of the, probably one of the first couple uh, podcasts about the new book. And when you write something like that, it's been in process for so long that it's almost like you got to go, okay, now what did I say about that again? So if you got any insights on that, you know, just go ahead and, well, you said this, throw it in there, okay? Yeah. Um, and just as we're we're getting started, I'm uh, a little bit familiar with your story, but for those who may not be, uh, I absolutely love hearing the stories uh, that made someone want to put out this, this piece of work, whether that, I mean, in your case, it's a book, but a film, yeah. whatever it might be. And so would you mind just kind of sharing the story of what made you go, Hey, I, I want to create this resource for people. Yeah, sure. I, um, probably for the last 15 years or so, I've loved leadership coaching and, um, because I was being coached, you know, years ago when I worked with Andy Stanley at North point ministries and, um, I remember sitting one time and uh, Fran Lamatina, who's, you know, I talk about, she's invaluable in my life story. And she's been an executive coach for a lot of people at North Point. And, um, she was coaching my team. And I remember thinking, I like this. And I think I could do what she does. Like, I really just love all aspects of it. And so I fell in love with leadership, started getting her to coach me on how to coach, you know, work on leadership with with so many. And so uh, for the next three or four years, while I was still at North Point, I was producing Drive and some of the big events from a, a producer side of things. And that's when um, Catalyst called and they asked if I would come and produce Catalyst conferences um, as a contractor, come in and work, do the production and music stuff, the creative side. And so I did that for a few years and then I, they came over and what was beautiful, or I came over full time. What was beautiful about that is my predecessor, Brad Lominick, 
had asked me to come and be our creative director and producer, which was, you know, that's, that's really what I had cut my teeth on. But he also knew that I have this love for leadership and I had been coaching leaders on the side and it was a leadership organization. So he asked me to come and help develop our staff even more constantly, you know, work in that. And so I did, but uh, within the first year of being there, um, it was a transition. It was time for, he was going to move on and they asked me to step into that so- that seat. And I can remember thinking as clear as, as, you know, right now, oh man, one, you know, a couple of questions. Like, do I want to do this? Um, yeah. I know him and I know his leadership style and I know mine's very different. And how does that work together? And, um, and so, you know, I did that for about six years and it's really interesting to try to learn that skill while in the public and leading a national movement that people loved um, for so long. Uh, working with the likes of Andy Stanley and Christine Kane and Craig Rochelle, you know, so never mind, you got to figure it out while you're working with those people, you know. So, um, but I remember a few years back, I was just like looking around kind of the landscape because there's a million resources for startup and for um, entrepreneurs. And I also thought, I don't know many of those people. Like most of the people in my world, including me, that that doesn't define us. Like, we step into things that exist and I just did it. And I, I did it before that with Andy and it's stewarding his influence at North point. And so anyway, it just kind of kept falling in my, my world of going, I need to write about this. Like this is just a different leadership skill set. but all, I mean, I made this number up, but like 90% of us, that's what we do, right? Like we step into a space that we didn't start. And so that's really the story behind it of just going, I just felt like there was a void in resources. There are just a couple on transition and succession. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there's a book or two on like, what do you do in the first 30, 60, 90 days? But there's just not a lot. And especially in the faith-based side of things. And what I know is that is a constant thing. You got a new pastor or a new um, executive pastor. You got a new student pastor coming in. One of my heartbeats is that this is an onboarding tool, Right. If you've got yeah. new staff coming on, you're able to go, hey, if you want to know what success looks like when you walk in the door, this, we believe, will get you started and pointed in the right direction. So, my, my you know, there's a lot of answers, but it, there was just a lot there. And that's when you have to just trust that God's kind of pushing you to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I find our conversation really timely uh, because, like, for me, I just moved into a new role at the at the church that I'm working at yeah. too. And it's just crazy to think about, like, even if you're not leaving the organization, you change jobs all like a lot. Totally. Totally. When you're following either somebody that people loved, you're following mm-hmm. somebody that nobody liked, uh, you're cleaning up a mess that somebody left you, or there's, there's just an expectation of, you know, whoever was before you, there's a simple expectation that you're going to be something like that, even though you might not be anything like that. So how do you navigate that? It's really important. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something that you had mentioned earlier because you talked about like you're you're going through this transition at Catalyst and you're doing it in a very public spotlight. Right. With I mean, because not not only do you have the the crowds, but you have the people that you mentioned, like you have Andy, you have Craig, you have Christine and, and so many other people um, doing that. What tell me what was that like? And what, what helped you through that? Well, they helped me through it for one, all those people you just mentioned, the grace in which they showed was uh, second to none. Um, those are people I care. I would do anything in the world for, and I care so much about because they cared for me so well. Um, yeah. You know, also there is, um, there's a really critical piece to all of this. And this is our personal understanding of our identity in our identity Mm -hmm. in Christ. My first book was around that whole concept that like, if I would have stepped into this space and not been okay with who I am and how I lead and what God's wired me to be, I would have gotten drowned in the realities of what everybody wanted me to be and what everybody thinks I should be and what everybody thinks Catalyst should be and what everybody thinks Craig and Andy should do. I mean, all of those things. Um, The other piece when it comes to the wiring, and, and I don't know how to explain this other than I just feel like God put this in my DNA is I don't really, um, I don't get starstruck and I don't see these quote unquote famous Christian leaders or whatever you want to call them, not just Christian, but leaders. Mm-hmm. I don't see them, but as anything, but a, a, a man and a woman who have taken steps in faith and, 
leadership and, and God's honored those things. And so, but I, I see that from an honoring side. I don't want to say I don't honor that. I respect yeah. the heck out of it. But what I'm saying is it's just like a conversation I'm having with you is the same way I'm going to have a conversation with those, those people. And so um, God's just given me the ability to lead leaders and lead pastor, pastor, pastors in a way that um, I think is a wiring thing. I think it's just in my calling and my DNA. And so those elements, but man, if I didn't know who I was and wasn't okay with that, when I step into a space that I didn't start, but there's a bunch of stuff swirling around, whew, it would have been really difficult. So I, I, I was able to do it with understanding and staying grounded in my faith and my identity in Christ, but also with the grace of the people who had been a part before me. Mm-hmm. Well, what was uh, just maybe one thing that helped you become more secure in your identity? Because exactly what you were saying uh not, I don't think just whenever we're stepping into something that right. uh, someone else has led, but even anytime there is the tendency to prove yourself. Yeah. It's so uh, what, what helped you uh, with that identity being secure? Uh, and this is what I think should help everybody. Um, and even as you go into the new book, you realize it's all based on this very idea yeah. that it doesn't take a skill set to care for somebody. It doesn't take a massive identity change to care for somebody. Um, we all know how to care for people. And so I knew beyond a shadow of doubt, I can do that and I can do it really well. And I can love on this team that God's put me over. And I can love on these people that have been part of this as contractors. And I love, I can love these things. And if I start there, um, I feel like I'll gain the influence I need to let the skill set catch up and let the experience catch up and some of those things. And so um, I really felt like pretty early on, I was able to um, get a lot of traction as a leader simply from loving the leaders that were in our orbit really well. Um, and a big change for me too, was I really wanted the audience to know that we were there for them. Like that it yeah. was just a hundred percent. We do this to serve you because we believe in what you do. And so um, we were able to shift some of that pretty early on. And again, that all goes in the same conversations of like, well, yeah, but does that mean you didn't like where it was and all this other stuff? And, I used to tell the team really early on, even when Brad was still leading, anything that I'm pushing us to do is to make us better. And it's not necessarily a reflection of where we've been. It's a reflection of where we need to go. And um, just because I want to be honoring to, you know, he and I very, we have great relationship. We just think differently and we lead differently. So you just have to, you just have to embrace that part of the transition. Mm hmm. Uh, w- one thing I, I wanted to ask about is, you know, I, I think uh, there's the tendency to think that, you know, going out on your own, being the entrepreneur, starting your own thing is kind of the the more attractive right. option maybe because, hey, I get to be my own boss. Um, I would love uh, just your thoughts on what do you think are the benefits of leading something that you didn't start? Well, for some people, they're more comfortable in security. And so if you've got an organization that exists and you've got funding and you've got good resources and yeah, you got a bunch of heavy lifting to do, or maybe some ship turning, you know, to uh, turn the rudder and get that thing going a different direction. Um, and you might lose your arm once or twice trying to do that or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you're a person who doesn't like the feeling of uncertainty when it comes to your own financial, whatever, you know, like, there, that's a very practical understanding. There are a lot of us in the world who do not like the idea of stepping on our own, not knowing where the next retainer or paycheck or thing will come from. We love to be a part of something that I know is consistent. I know there's resource. I know there's this kind of thing. Um, I think there's some other great things. One of my biggest clients now is First Baptist Orlando, 160-year-old church. And what I love about the group of uh, leaders and pastors that are there now is they honor and love the history of that church, but they don't let that define the future of that church. And um, there's some beauty in that, you know, to know that you're in a building that um, believers for 160 years have been in and worshiping. And so, you know, there's a lot of layers. Some of that depends on on who you are, but I also, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's, you've got to think through what's highest priority for me. Is it breaking new ground? You also, and, and, you know, I talk about this in the book, you've got to have a very clear evaluation of where this thing has been. Mm-hmm. And if you do that on the front end before you walk in, so many leaders, though, they walk in, they think they've heard it all. 
And then they get in there and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody told me about blank, 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 and blank. You know, um, even at the end, I have these four case studies. And one of those is with Buzz Williams, who's the head coach at Texas A&M basketball. When I interviewed him, he had just come from Virginia Tech. He'd been there 120 days. And he was like, man, there is, there are so many things that I didn't even know were problems when I walked in the door, way more than I expected. That is not an unusual story, Caleb. That is yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, well, why would they tell you that? That's your job. You got to dig deep. And and it, when you go to interview, it is you interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. And if you don't get the answers you need, I don't know if I want a turnaround job. I don't know if I want to take it to the next level. I don't know if I want to do that. So I just think there's a lot of questions to ask yourself of what are the pros and cons in those different situations. Mm-hmm. I would love to dig down more on that. And for the person who who is interviewing, or maybe maybe they've uh, arrived at the spot and they really want to get to know the history of the organization that's happening, what what would be some like things that hey, if you want to go like down the next level deeper, or even some questions that you've uh, thought through that might be helpful? Yeah, uh, you know, for me, it's really important. And this is personal, but like um, just asking, I don't care which which level of the organization you're coming into, I would want to know where we are financially as an organization. Like mm-hmm. what's the history? How are we doing? Where are we headed? What are the goals? Are we going to reach them? Like, because you're going to be a part of that story. And if you don't know what you're joining, you don't know how realistic it is. I mean, cause some people, let's say you're a salesperson that comes into an organization and they're giving you these numbers that you got to hit to make your numbers but no salesperson in the history of that organization has ever hit those. You know, I mean, it just, you, you got to know those things. Yeah. So you got to ask a lot of those really detailed questions. But I think what happens for all of us, and again, it goes back to maybe security, maybe insecurity, maybe fear. When we go for job interviews, one, maybe we're desperate for a job. And so we'll do whatever it takes. But most of us aren't in that bad of a position. Most of us will probably have a chance to go, is this what I want to do? Is this where I'm supposed to go? But we go into those just going, I got to sell myself. I got to make sure that they, and you just kind of wave a, a wand over their side of things. Listen, you're signing up. I, I know there's a lot of leaders in the world and these are not leaders I would work for who think that I think you note from them is a paycheck, right? They yeah. just believe, yeah. you know what? You do the job and your thank you is you get paid. Okay, awesome. But let me just back you up a hair. I don't have to be here. And as a matter of fact, I'm doing this because I need, you know, it's a job for me, but I'm Mm -hmm. making you better and I'm growing your business and I'm growing this church with you. I don't have to do that. I can go do this somewhere else. And so I want to work with leaders that recognize that. And so some of that's my digging when I go into those interviews or you should like, is this person seeing me as just a tool in, in the toolkit to make sure they accomplish their goals? Or do they actually see me as someone who's an asset to what's his team and is somebody they will care for as they lead? So, I, you know, there's a million different ways we could go with that. But I think yeah. the biggest thing is recognizing you're interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. Yeah. Uh, I just, one, one thing that I, uh, that has been in my experience and even other people that I know is that, you know, it's really good to put on a face for, you know, a weekend. Like if right. you go out there and you interview for a weekend or a couple of days um, and it's like, Hey, we need an answer. Do you have any thoughts on like, what are some things? And I mean, you talked about some of them. I'm just curious to see if there's any more, just cause I know that it's such a big thing Yeah. of how do you find the, Hey, this is, uh, and not necessarily like there's really bad stuff, but this is the skeletons in the closet. This is right. like the the true reality of the situation. You know, I wish I could say you could you could get all of those. <laughs> I think what you're trying yeah. to look for is the big, you know, the big landmines. Just yeah. is this thing 80% healthy? Is it pretty good? Is it okay? Can I bring something to the table that takes it from 80 to 90? Like, mm-hmm. uh, what are those kind of things? I, again, there's just no way you're going to hear it all. And, yeah. but I think you just need to get a comfort and the more questions you ask, either you'll have more peace or you'll have less peace. And every time this is a step of faith, right? But here's yeah. the thing I'd encourage the next generation, young leaders, Gen Z, millennial, like I, I've had, I've led a lot of leaders of both, both generations. There's something 
I like to call it the, um, uh, what do they call it? My forever home situation where mm-hmm. uh, young leaders assume that every job is a forever home decision. I'm buying my forever home. No, you're not. Like you're <laughs> just not. So here's what I would tell you. It's okay. You're going to make a mistake. Like if you get a job and you you do it for a year and you move on to a different job, welcome to life. Like we've all been there. We'd love for you to get a job that takes you for the next 30 years, but it's probably not going to happen. The average, I think last I heard, and this is total made up from what I remember. So I'm not quoting anybody. So don't <laughs> quote me that I'm quoting anybody. But I mean, I've heard that oh. like on average, most, you know, when you turn 30, most leaders have had five jobs within the first, you know, eight years of working. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's normal. You're figuring out what you like, what you don't like, what kind of orgs you want to be a part of, what kind of churches you like to be around. Um, that's just part of it. So don't take every single piece as life or death. Like God's with you, you know, like yeah. go give it a shot. If it's not right, great. You mean jobs I did that aren't right for me, but they taught me something for today. Um, you know, so yeah, I just think it's, you're never going to find them all, but be okay. Just rest. There's a faith piece to this. Yeah. Uh, what are maybe some other uh I can't think of a different way to say it, but uh, traps that you see people uh, like walking into whenever they enter a spot that they're yeah. not the first leader uh, that people tend to stumble over. Yeah, yeah I think it. Uh, the biggest one I see, and this is uh, de- really depends on the job. If you're if it's an entry level mm-hmm. job and you don't have any authority, this is not going to be a problem for you. But anybody that has any sort of responsibility, direct reports, whatever, the new sheriff in town mentality is just something you have to avoid. I I think people have this, especially insecure leaders, they have this belief that I need to make sure you know I'm in charge. Even when you're new to the thing. Guess Mm -hmm. what? Everybody knows where you sit on the the org chart. Everybody (laughs) knows that you're in charge. It's John Maxwell's five levels of leadership. The lowest level leadership is positional leadership. Like, We've all got it. We got it. Check. Check that off the list. You are the positional leader. Now it's your job to earn our respect. It's your job to influence us and to lead us in a way that we don't see you as our positional leader. We actually choose to want to be, uh, to follow you, to, to let you be the leader that you're supposed to be. And so, um, but so often people, and, and let me be really clear. There is a small percentage that the ship is going down when somebody joins it. And they have to new sheriff in town. They have got to yeah. turn that thing or it is going into the abyss. That's not the case most of the time. Most of the time it is stepping into something that needs some work, something that maybe is doing great, but um, you've got to basically earn the right to then in a few, three, six months, be able to say, okay, I'm going to make some changes. And so, you know, in the book, I have three, three chapters, like a quarter of this book is on patience. It's just yeah. on the reality that we have to be patient as we move into this very fully understanding that there are some things, some fires that have to get put out immediately. That's, you know, we're not, I'm not discounting that, but so many of us come in guns blazing first month and that's not necessarily the way that you're going to gain a whole bunch of followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you just expound more on just what you were saying about just the importance of patience whenever it comes to this? Yeah, sure. It's, um, there's a Hillsong Christmas song, and I still listen to it all the time. It's called Seasons. But I can I can remember as clear as the day the first time I heard that song. And I was in the middle of a really hard season in my life. But there was a line in the bridge that says, if you're not done working, then I'm not done waiting. And it just, man, did it ever strike a chord with me. And it still does every time I hear it. Because so often, I want that season to be over. So often I want that thing to move positively. So often I want it to be weeks and months ahead of schedule. And so often that's not the best thing for that thing. And for me, for that matter, patience is not something that's natural to really anybody that I've ever met. And there's a reason it's called a fruit of the spirit. It is not something that is natural for us, but I'm telling you right now, if you patience to me is that, that double-edged sword of your season of stepping in that if you aren't, you will quickly lose influence. And if you are, you will gain influence. And so how, how you methodically take your time 
as you make decisions, as you love people well, as you transition, as you evaluate, as you start implementing your stuff, all of the elements that come with your different role and your different team and your different space. If you are impatient, you can quickly lose influence that you've been working really hard to gain. And so um, I just have a lot of thoughts on what is patience? Like, what are the areas? How do we be, you know, what does it look like to be patient? And I just, um, I think I spent so much time on it to just reiterate, number one, this is not natural. Number two, this is that important. Uh, Kit, can you give just one or two examples just to continue to paint that, that picture of what patience might look like? Yeah, I remember um, when I took over at, at Catalyst, I um, I already knew the team. I'd been on the staff. Um, you know, Brad had been leading it, and um, I already had thoughts. That wasn't a problem. Don't worry, I always have thoughts. <laughs> um, but I knew better because he had been there for a long time. He was the face mm-hmm. of that thing for a long time, and you know, any quick changes, any quick lane changes, any turns could be jolting, not just to our team, but to the audience, to um, our followers, to the people that were a part of this organization. And so um, I remember waiting about three or four months before I really even made any strong, here's what the expectations are to be on our team. Um, Mm -hmm. I spent three or four months listening. I spent three or four months letting people know that I care about them, letting them know that um, I hear them, that I see them, that I want to know how to make this better. I want to methodically make sure we make changes that are better and and move us forward. And let's be real clear. I made some changes that didn't make us better. I didn't know that, you know, it's just yeah. part of leadership. You're trying, you know, you're, you're shooting at targets that are moving. And um, I made some mistakes along the way, but I do think I made some things that fit me better. And some of that mm-hmm. includes longer conversations with certain um, long-time or short-term employees who I probably knew in my heart of hearts didn't have, weren't going to fit that expectation or that DNA. Um, But that's a huge part of the evaluation process is going, okay, who are my all-ins? Who are the ones that are on the line? Who are the ones that don't like me? Um, Mm -hmm. Not saying they're gone, but I got some more work to do on that side. So uh, that, that moment is, it will always be very clear to me, you know, um, okay, take your time. It's okay. You're not going anywhere. You got some work to do, but take your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to go back to something uh, that you said earlier in our conversation. You talked about uh, you know, coming in whenever it's a good situation, a bad situation, and then just, or follow, sorry, following a good leader, a bad yeah. leader, and then just a cleanup situation right. as well. And I, I would just love to hear what for people, because we got people who are probably in each different box sure. or each different scenario for that. What would be like one or two things that you would say, Hey, if you're, if you're following a good leader, Hey, keep this in mind, bad leader, you know, clean up situation. What, what, what would be some things to consider or think about? Yeah. And there, there's a hybrid of all that, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I make it, I make it sound so clean cut and <laughs> usually a mix. <laughs> one, one of my chapters or the, one of the case studies is with Jimmy Rollins, who's a pastor in Baltimore, took over for his dad. Well, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of good in that, but he's really clear. There were a lot of not good in that, and it wasn't a mess, but it was just time for some changes. There's a whole bunch of layers when you're making changes from what your dad founded the church on and all the different things. And he, he just does a great job of articulating how he managed that and walked through that. And that was a part of why I put those case studies back there is I wanted you to hear from real life people in different lanes who have Mm -hmm. walked through these kind of challenges. Um, I think I would say for good and bad, you have to be a great listener because what I'm listening for from the people that worked for the good employee or the bad one is if they're bad, what they hated about it, what made it bad. If they're good, what they loved about it, what made it good. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I either want to eliminate from the organization or I want to replicate moving forward. Right. Um, and so, it, and, and, you know, you read like, basically I've got this, you're hearing all these pieces together, but it's a four-step plan. Like you've got to come in and evaluate. Well, evaluating happens even before you walk in the building. And so really understanding. And so uh, one of my good friends took over at a church that had a moral failure. And um, the two, actually two of my really good friends have had to do that. Whoa, that's a whole interesting thing, but they're having to do the same skill. What's going on? What's under the curtain? 
What do we need to know? Why did that go bad? What all went bad? Because I need to make sure. And, and honestly, sometimes the bad isn't all bad. Sometimes mm-hmm. you got people that receive that perceive it as bad. Well, they're the wrong people. So that you know what I mean. It's just this constant yeah. um, paying attention to the fact that okay, who who's telling me it's bad? And when I listen to what I know, I actually don't think it's as bad as you think it is. But you think it's bad because you've been hurt over here. And um, so it's really just that key of how, what are the questions to ask? What is the what is the proper uh, amount of evaluation required? Um, and I would tell you, it's more than you're currently doing. Like, <laughs> so if you want to know if you're doing enough, you're not. Keep going, keep digging, keep working to make sure you understand. And then there's going to be a point that you have to lead. And that's the trick to the whole book, right? Is and to the whole concept. There is a point that you have done all your due diligence. There is a point that you have honored the past. There is a point that you have been patient enough. And there's a point that you step in and lead. Now, you are going to sprinkle that in throughout that transition. You are going to lead in moments. You're going to lead in decisions. You're going to lead in changes. But there's a point where now it's yours. There's no more question about the past. There's no more history. There's no, I mean, there's history, but it's not yours anymore. Do you know what I mean? And so, yeah, yeah, I think good, bad, and different, it's really a key, key, key component. What am I seeing? What are the issues, good and bad? How do I replicate the good to keep this train moving? And how do I eliminate the bad? Yeah. Uh, can you talk about what does it what does it look like to just honor the person who has come before you? Because uh and I absolutely love kind of what you were saying of the of the situation. It's very similar to the same still skill set because whether you're following a good leader or a bad leader, it's just different yeah. no matter what. Um, and so how, how can you still honor someone, even whenever you, just where you were saying with Brad, you're going in a different direction and everything. Yeah. I really, um, err on the side of honoring too much. And, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm honest, I probably, I was very, I remember this, I had been leading catalyst for five years and I stood on the stage at Catalyst West, and it might have been the first time that I didn't think about what would Brad say or how would he lead this. Five years, mm-hmm. five years into this thing. I mean, he's not telling me. You know, it's just that story you yeah. tell yourself. It's the thing that's in your mind. Um, when it, There's the layers. Like, if I started something fresh, hey, there's nobody that I'm following. I'm not asking that question. And so there are some things, you know, that are benefits in both sides. But for me it took that long for me to finally just go, Oh yeah, this is me. Like, no, I'm, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, I've earned this. And in the sense of I'm people know that I'm leading now and it's not a question of that. Nobody else is thinking that just me, mm-hmm. unless Brad was in there. Maybe Brad was thinking about it. <laughs> um, but I, I aired on the side of honoring too long and I would always do that. Like, mm-hmm. um, I think where and this, and we talk about this in the book a good bit, what we celebrate is what's going to get modeled, right? And so when I'm honoring, I want to celebrate the things that are worth honor, right? They are, um, they, they are worth our celebration. Here's the trick in that. As you're honoring for a certain amount of time, as you're looking at the past and making sure people know, hey, I'm grateful for where we've been. Sometimes that's not necessary because it's a hot mess. and <laughs> You yeah. just got to... Yeah, But here, here's why I'm saying all this. If you as a leader are celebrating things that are not honorable, you're celebrating things that are not the good things, then what you're saying to the team is you don't get it. What you're saying to the team is I actually, you know, I don't, I don't see the truth. I don't recognize really the problems that were here. I'm just honoring to honor. No, that's not honoring. Honoring is seeing how we got here, the great things about it. What does that look like? And the people, if again, it's worth the honor. Some situations are not, and you don't need to say anything. You just move on. Right. But mm-hmm. most of our situations, they're probably pretty good. And being yeah. able to just love those people well, care for them well as they've left or been moved on uh, or they moved on. Just there's something in, and you know, this is, as you read it, all of this is based on some sort of personal spiritual understanding and walk. Because there, honestly, there aren't formulas to tell you when that honor season is done. Yeah, it's a it's a gut feeling, if you want to call it that. For me, I just believe if I'm honoring somebody, the Holy Spirit will honor that 
and he will move me into that next season. So, um, but the problem with so many of us, especially in church world, is we don't know how to get past the honor phase. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to not hurt, you know, not look in a reflection in the mirror and go, yeah, that wasn't good, guys. Like that was, yeah, I mean, I know he was the founder or she was the founder. But let's be real clear that this should have handed off 10 years ago. Like, you know, I mean, we got to yeah. be honest with that or you will lose influence there too. You know, I remember I had a staff employee, a uh, staff one time tell me, um, cause I think somebody was moving on who hadn't done a good job. Like it was time for them to move on and they probably should have moved on like a year before. And one of my key leaders came to me and was like, you realize, and we did a celebration, kind of send them off. And I tried to honor them and they were like, great. We all know you're going to honor them, but like, just don't make it false. Like, don't, in a sense, if you make this like they were the best person in the world, it's just time for them to go somewhere else. The team's going to think you didn't see all the problems. Does that make sense? So it's just all these kind of layers that have to go through your mind. So leadership's easy. So just go do this. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, How, I mean, I think we've all, uh, probably been in a situation to where you have somebody who can't move on from the previous yeah. leader. How, how would you handle that situation? I have been a firm believer for a long time that I would rather coach someone out of an organization than them be blindsided by it. Now here's the crazy thing. There are some leaders you can coach for two years out of the organization and they're still going to be blindsided by it. So yeah. um, I think a part of that is in that early parts of evaluation you know, for years, there's been this kind of teaching that you hire people for character, competency, and chemistry. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably have the job and they probably could keep the job for their character and their competency. If character is an issue, that's that's a no-brainer. It's time to move yeah. on. If they're stealing money, if they have no integrity, whatever the thing may be, that's a non-negotiable. Like, move on. But if character and competency are intact, chemistry is the piece that sometimes... Um, is overlooked in transition because that person's been here for 10 years, because that person Mm -hmm. built this because they were the right hand man or woman to the leader or this and that and the other. But if they don't fit with your wiring and where you're going, then let's just believe that they, it's time for a new season. Um, Henry cloud has an incredible book on seasons called necessary endings. And a lot of times his point is everybody has necessary endings. Sometimes they just don't make it themselves. Somebody makes it for them. And, uh, you know, when you go through a season, when you have to move somebody into a new, free their future, as some people like to say, I believe that if we can do that, we have to have two things in our hearts and minds. And I've learned this the hard way, truthfully, because I I held on to some longer than I should. I hired some, probably I shouldn't have, but I had this thing. But the two things you got to remember is I could never love them as much as God loves them. And I am not their provider. Hmm. He is. That allowed me to be wise, to love and honor these people well, and try to coach them out of the organization saying, hey, here's where we're going and here's what the expectations are if you're going to sit around this circle. I'm a little nervous because I know this is very different than where you've been. I know this is different than how you've acted. I don't know that you want to come in every day for the next six months and me as the leader be going, can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. Like, but some of that's just a chemistry thing. Some of that's we see and process life differently. Well, we as a team are going to process life the way that I'm talking about. So if I can tell somebody's not going to be able to get on board with that, then starting to have some, some um, great conversations around where we're going and how we're going to get there. And when they don't see that, it allows another coaching moment that says, you know, this is something we got to be praying about together, working through together, because my sense is this is going to be really difficult for you. And I want you to, I want you to thrive. And the way I've always said it is I want you in the right seat on the bus, even if it's not my bus. Um, That's what I believe. And I don't care who they are. If they're had an incredible run, but they're not in the right seat on the bus that I'm driving. I want to get them on the right seat on the bus so that they are winning as leaders. And so if you can couch it in that understanding, I want what's best for them. Forget me for a minute. That usually helps you see it a little clearer. Mm -hmm. And that just takes me back to just what we were talking about earlier with the patience fact of it. Yep. That seems to be an important factor in all of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 
I uh, want to go back to, you know, you talked about coaching someone out of the organization. How do you know whenever it's just, it's just time. And like, like, and I, and I'm not necessarily looking for like, cause I know that there, there's different right. times for right. everybody, but what might be like some like indicators of like, Hey, I, I can't coach this person out anymore. Uh, I think body language is key. If you're in meetings one-on-one or in a group and you can just tell that they're, they're done and their body language expresses that that you know that they gossip and they talk about all the negatives in you all the time. I'm not, I got no time for that. If they are willing to talk to everybody but you about what's going on and what they have, the problems they have with you, I have problems with that. I actually just, I've been reading Don Miller's new book, Business Made Simple. And he talks about, um, he was struggling with this person and he was talking to his business coach. And he said, you know, I'm just confused. And the business coach stopped him and he said, uh, the best leaders in the world are never confused. You're actually not confused. You just don't want to do what you know is right. Mm. And I love that principle. And I, I don't love it, but I love yeah. the, the clarity that it brings of going, most great leaders, they're not confused. We make ourselves confused because we know we don't want to do what's real and what's right. And so if you can remember any time as a leader that you're getting confused because of a situation with someone, you probably know exactly what's right, but it's just hard to do. And therefore, and therefore you can couch it in the, in the cloud of confusion. Yeah. Uh, you also talk about succession in the book Yeah. also. And uh, before we wrap up our conversation, I, I do, I would do want some thoughts on that. And uh, what are some of, what are some of the things that you see whenever it comes to succession or handing um, stuff off that, that leaders either tend to forget or they, they mess up on in the succession pro- process? There's a, there's a lot of layers to that for sure. And I think what we have to start with is understanding. Imagine you always just have to be willing to reverse and put yourself in the shoes of the person, the founder, the leader, the pastor, who everybody thinks should hand off the keys, but they've been leading it and been in charge for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. And even though all the other people think it's easy and clear and it should be done, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the other person and recognize how hard this is going to be. Yeah. Because they've been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years. They've been the guy. They've been the girl. They've been the leader. And now you're saying to them, yeah, hand off that authority. Yeah, hand off that respect. Yeah, hand off that responsibility. So you have to start there. Like so many people love this conversation because they're like, well, duh. I mean, he's this old or she's this old and, and they're just, they're not clueless. They're clueless now. And like, they don't get the next generation, whatever. So that's where I start as I want to understand the people that we're trying to say this about the best in the world are always looking to succeed or have succession. Who's mm-hmm. going to step in and do this thing. Um, some friends of mine started, uh, started two or three businesses and then they just created this, this content website, organization called ownnotrun.com, Brian and Shannon. And it's just that concept of when you start a business, are you building it so you can run it? Are you building it so you can own it? And I think that's an interesting thought when it comes to succession, because so many of us, uh, we, we find value in running it. We want people to know that we have all this intrinsic value that we bring so much to the table. But what if you were so stinking good at delegating and raising up other people that when it came time for you to move on, there's six people sitting there that they're going to have to go, man, we've got way too many choices. Of Most of the time, what do you think the, the, the question is? Who the heck would do this? Now, here's the other big layer to this. There is a massive difference when a founder is the person looking to, su- to succession than mm-hmm. just another leader who has taken it because a founder is a whole nother ball of wax. Like, honestly, and I make these, I love making up numbers if you can't tell, but like, yeah. you know, I, I would assume 50, 60% of organizations that were founded never transition because it's that hard for somebody who did all the nuts and bolts, who were in the weeds from day one, who, who, cashed in their 401k and started this thing, or, you know, they were, it was their basement. The church met in for two years and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's really hard for them to let go and go. Yeah. But it, but that was that, that was then. 
and God has something else for it. But if you're not willing to, oh, this isn't mine, then this thing's going to go down with you. And I just don't think most most leaders, if they're really honest with themselves, they don't want it to die with them. They don't want it to 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 disappear when they're done. But they have to be willing to get out of that identity piece that says this thing is only successful because I'm there. And so I think it's just it, it's all connected to our identities again. It's all connected to where do we place our faith? Where do we place our trust? Where do we place our identity? Is it in our vocation? Is it in our title? Or is it in our our God? Is it in uh, our our personal relationship with God and with people around us? And um, and so I think a lot of that is back to that confusion thing. Most of us aren't confused when it's time. People know, even the person that needs to be handing off the keys. And so I just love for leaders who are always thinking about pouring into caring for investing in the next generation. I think they have a succession mindset, which is I'm going to make you the best leader. I know how, no matter, you could take my job all day long and I'll, you know, support that and lift it up. But let's be real clear. That is not easy. And it's easy to spot when it needs to happen, but it's incredibly difficult uh, to manage. But the reason I wrote this is because there's so few organizations and churches that have done this well. And that's why I think it's important that we think about it from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. You, you talked about how, you know, some of the best people or the, the people who are the best at succession are always thinking about it. Is there anything else that you've seen that the people who are uh, really good at succession do? I, I just think they simply elevate others consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just always thinking, no, do you go do that? How would you? I love asking this question. I, I have people all the time that work for me in different organizations, different parts, and they'll say, "Hey, what do you want to do?" Or how would you do this? And I'll just go, "Well, how would you do that? What do you want to do? What do you think's best for the organization? What do you think's best for the church?" That simple turn of a question allows you to start recognizing and allows you to hand off. So many of us give leaders responsibility and no authority. How about we give them responsibility and authority? That's the only way we're going to find out if they can handle decision-making. And, you know, recognize they're going to fail. So not all the time, but like if we, let's give them decisions that aren't the riskiest thing in the world. Let's let them get their feet wet on some decisions that they feel the authority to make without you having to watch over, without having to call. And so here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to do this. Just make the decision, man. I heard a friend the other day say to one of uh, his key direct reports, if it's under this amount of money and it's in the budget, do not ask me that. (laughs) Not a lot of leaders do that. You know, Mm -hmm. they want to feel important. So they want to feel like they have to, these these final says, I'm never going to know if I've got a team of people that could step in if they don't ever have the the, uh, authority to make decisions. Yeah. Well, just as we're wrapping up, any final thoughts on just anything that we've been talking about in terms of, you know, the leading what you what someone hasn't started a succession or anything like that? Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot over the last few months about who is the who are the best people to read this? Like, who would this mm-hmm. matter the most to? The most obvious is somebody like yourself that is stepping into a new space or a new job or new whatever. Mm-hmm. The other two for me are, are the ones I think I mentioned one, but I just really believe if churches and faith, because it's a faith-based book. I mean, the whole first yeah. chapter's on the fruit of the spirit. Like, I'm not hiding from that. My whole my whole career in leadership has been faith-based. So it's it is what it is. Yeah. But I would love for ministries, you know, Christian leaders that run businesses, churches, that they see this as an onboarding tool for anybody new stepping into their team. Can you imagine if you're well, right before you came to work at this new spot, if Two weeks out, a month out, you got in the mail, uh, your badge, you know, some sort of gift card, like we're excited you're mm-hmm. going to be here. And a book that they, that we say, hey, if you read this, we want you to read this to get your mind in the mm-hmm. right place to how to step into leading and leading well in our organization. We believe if you do this. So I just honestly, it's funny because I never thought about that as I wrote it. And then over these last few months, as I've been thinking about how do we, who, who needs this book? I just think, man, what a great resource. And yeah. I'm not saying because it's me, but I'm just saying like, that's what I would want when I'm stepping into a place that I don't know what to expect, but for them to think ahead of time and go, Hey, we care. But honestly, and then this is another conversation for another day. Most 
churches are terrible at onboarding. They don't even think about it. You just show up and, uh, oh, wait, yeah, we, oh, I forgot. Let me make sure your computer's ready. And let me, let's get better at that stuff. And this could be a way mm-hmm. to do that. And then the last one is people are graduating college. Like most yeah. of them are about to go into a workforce and they don't know what this looks like. And so I think it could be another great resource for that. So um, that that's what I get excited about. My prayer is that it really is helpful for people. And um, and it gives them some sort of something to grab a hold of in every situation when they walk into it. Yeah. Well, Tyler, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book and continue to learn from you and just all the stuff that you have going on at the Life Giving Company. Where's the best place for people to go to keep up with you and get the book? Yeah, I mean, book's going to be everywhere books are sold. Um, Tyler Reagan, R-E-A-G-I-N.com is probably going to be a central place for book stuff and content. But uh, and that's the same for social media. It's just at Tyler Reagan on all the channels. So if you want to keep up, that's kind of usually the best place to do that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed that conversation with Tyler, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any of the episodes of the Learner's Corner podcast is to go ahead and subscribe or follow whatever uh, this podcast and whatever podcast player you use, whether that be Stitcher or Google Play or Apple Podcast or Spotify or Overcast or whatever that might be. Just go ahead and hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss it. Also, leave a rating and write a review of the podcast on whatever podcast player you use. That really does help spread the word, spread the message of the podcast as well. And would love to hear from you. If there's something that you would love to learn about on the podcast or love us to cover, go ahead and you can reach out to me. Or if you're just learning about something really exciting and you want to share it with somebody, just go ahead and reach out to me at my Instagram, which is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you. Would love to learn from you. And that's probably the best ways, the best way to reach out to me. And so, like I said, would love to learn from you as well. And before I sign off, just want to say real quick, thanks again to Garrett. Thanks again to Sam for helping make the podcast awesome. And thank you for Tyler to being on the podcast as well. And thank you for listening to the podcast as well. You're one of the reasons why I do this podcast and so grateful that you would decide to spend a few minutes of your day here with me now until next time, keep learning and keep growing.